Who do we sign? Who do we sign? Chris Stratton, one year, three. Who cares? What? Again? Another one? Seth Lugo? What? What? Hunter Renfro? Can I ask Oh my god! It just keeps happening! What? What? Michael Walker! Oh my god, it's happening! Good morning, afternoon, evening, everybody, to all of you wonderful ladies and gentlemen, and everyone who loves listening. This is the World of Lux Podcast. I am trying to get through the intros very quickly because this is a huge episode. Oh my goodness, there is so much to talk about. So once again, this is the Royal Deluxe Podcast presented by the Fans First Sports Network. Thank you very much for listening. Keep up with it by subscribing to it on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. Hopefully this is going out onto Apple Podcasts. Other shows on the Fans First Sports Network have been uh, kind of having trouble with Apple lately, so hopefully we won't be affected too much. If so, then I'm going to do my best to fix that. Uh, but anyway, all these other platforms... Again, thank you very much for listening. I'm Lux. That's what I keep telling people. And man, this this is this is big. Also at Royal Deluxe Pod, that's the Twixer account uh, where we had lots of things to say, lots of things to talk about throughout the week, and also my personal account at the MF and Casey for some slightly less relevant stuff. But oh my goodness, folks! Oh my goodness! This was a a monumental week in Royals history, and I want to start off by formally apologizing to the Kansas City Royals and their front office and everybody involved with it for what I have said on this podcast for the past couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, I was complaining about the lack of urgency. I was complaining that we were kind of going into the winter meetings with nothing really going on. We had the Garrett Hampson signing. That was literally the only thing we had. And then we kind of came out of the winter meetings uh, a little bit after we signed Will Smith. And I'm still like, eh, not really that interested. I want the Royals to do some other stuff. And I was talking about a past offseason where the Royals went into the winter meetings having – well, I don't think there were winter meetings that season. It was that offseason. But whatever. They went into one offseason very, very urgent and addressed whatever issues their roster had very, very quickly. So I'm like, why aren't the Royals doing that this season? Are they stupid? Well – Unfortunately, um, they uh, unfortunately I am El Stupido here because the Royals have done it. They have absolutely done it. They made signing after signing after signing after signing this week. I I even uh, I I actually thought about doing an episode on Friday, bringing back a sp- the special Friday episodes because the Royals have made two signings by then, and I chose not to. My exact thoughts were. They're done for the week. The Royals will not do anything over the weekend. So if I do a podcast on Friday, I won't have anything to talk about on Monday. Famous last words. That exact day, the Royals made two more signings. And when I say signings, I'm not talking about some random minor leaguers. I know we talked about them last week. We're talking about big boys, major league players, guys that have been on the Royals' radar for a long time, and guys that I think we went into this season hoping to acquire. So let's get right into them. The first of these, and one of the biggest ones that was signed, was Seth Lugo. He was signed to a two-year, $30 million contract with a third-year option, a player option for $15 million. So that's, the, the player option is up to him. He can choose to pitch in 2026 if he wants, 
which I'm going to say is very likely because he's a 34-year-old pitcher. I doubt he's going to be all that great in three years, but who knows? Maybe he can have two insane banger years and then go, eh, you guys can keep that third year. I'm good. I'm going to go elsewhere. And if so, more power to him. That's the whole point of this player option. But for the sake of, uh, I don't know, realism or whatever, I'm just going to say it's a three-year, $45 million contract. And I'm sure that's what the Royals are thinking as well. They're, they're thinking, we'll, we'll do this, but it's up to him if he actually wants that third year. So give power to the player. GameStop. <laughs> so he, last year, through 146.1 innings with a 3.57 ERA for the Padres. Um, but he is very, very interesting in that he wasn't really a starting pitcher before that. Since 2017, he has basically only been a relief pitcher. And then he got a one-year deal with the Padres, and they used him as a starter, and it worked. It was a great, it was a great year for him, career year for him. And interestingly enough, his numbers were consistent from his starting career, or from his relief career to his starting career: three point eight three FIP, um, eight point nine strikeouts per nine, two point two walks per nine. Very, very good strikeout to walk ratio. It's eighteenth in baseball among pitchers with hundred forty innings pitched last season. So, and, and it's generally, again, consistent with what he was doing in relief. So it's not like he pitched particularly different. He just pitched a whole lot more than he usually has last year. According to Fangraphs, he was the 22nd best free agent. Uh, MLB Trade Rumors had them as the 19th best free agent. And I'm going to quote what Fangraphs said on their article, their top 50 free agents article. There were some growing pains in year one of Lugo's reconversion. He was a starter in the minors when he debuted with and, and when he debuted with the Mets. He didn't go particularly deep into his starts, and at times he seemed to be unsure of what his best pitches were. But those are minor flaws and ones that might resolve themselves in a, in the second year of starting. Which seems fine to me. If it's a matter of pitch mixing, pitch sequencing, that's something that the Royals have been known to do with guys like Cole Reagans. They can kind of change the what, just not even change the pitches necessarily, although they can do that as well, but just tell a guy to throw a different pitch at a different time. So if you ask me for my take on this, my opinion on Seth Lugo, I mean, I love this signing because the Royals went out and got a good starting pitcher, a veritable starting pitcher. They were willing to spend eight figures on him. It's not Jordan Lyles or anything like this is a good starting pitcher, a, a, a pitcher that was reportedly getting interest from more than half of the sport, which doesn't surprise me. Interest can mean lots of things, um, but it was reported that the Red Sox and the Mets, and the Padres all offered contracts to Seth Lugo. The Royal. This is who the Royals are competing against. So if you want to say, well, we signed him for too much money or whatever like that, it's it's kind of the, the flaw of the Royals right now. They're a small market team. They haven't won a lot of games recently, so they're not a very attractive place to sign. How do they handle that? By spending a little bit more money, which is something I've, I've noted to be a bit of a strength, a bit of an advantage to the Royals, where they basically have a blank payroll after uh, after next year, frankly, which is probably why they were willing to go three years on Seth Lugo. They're like, we, the Royals literally have no money committed to 2026. Literally none. Salvi is off the contract, off the books, unless the team option is taken. I think it's like a $13 million team option. And if so, then fine. It's less than what he's actually going to make. Uh, going to be making for the next two seasons 
So the Royals are like, all right, we don't have to worry about this too much. You know, if Seth Lugo isn't going to be good for three years and like, whatever, so be it. We're still going to get him because we have to try. I know that there are a lot of people that are very shaky on this signing and they, you know, citing the very low experience that this guy has had starting. And I can understand that. But listen, this is something else I was talking about on this show. No pitcher is is perfect in this market. There is no perfect starting pitcher that can really just perfectly fit the Royals in this in this market. So wh- whoever the Royals do sign, it's going to come with some amount of risk. And yeah, Seth Lugo hasn't pitched a whole lot in his career, has only pitched one season in his career. He did miss some time throughout the year, but I believe it was a leg injury. So it wasn't a shoulder injury. It wasn't an arm injury. That seems to be fine. Um, so I'm still gonna expect him. I'm still gonna count on him to pitch a hundred to, to to throw 150 innings next season. Which at this point, 150 innings might as well be the new qualification, the new 162, because not a lot of guys are throwing more than 150 this season, uh, just in general. And yeah, they're getting a guy who might be risky. It's going to be double doubly risky for the Royals because they're the ones who are going to have to overspend a little bit. And um. Yeah, Lugo wasn't quite really expected to get this much. Fangrass had him at uh, three years, 13 per, so 39 million. MLB trade rumors said three years, 42 million. But again, they rated him a little bit higher than Fangrass did. And so the Red Sox, Mets, and Padres, they offered contracts. Red Sox and Mets wanted to go two years with a higher average value. So maybe we'll say like 16 million per year. The Padres offered four years. But for lower money in general, I believe it was reported that was a lower guaranteed money. So we're going to say it might have been like uh, four years, 40 or maybe 444. So the Royals going 345. This is the nice sweet spot that they're in. And it's a nice advantage for them because they have an extremely low payroll now. They They have an extremely low payroll in three years. And all these teams that are competing, like they're going to spend money, sure. And maybe when all when all is said and done, they will be outspending the Royals just in general on players. But they're not going to go all in on literally every guy. The Royals need to just pick a couple of guys, and they need to just like 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 just tackle him like a fumbled football, just like topple on top of him and just go, no, it's mine, mine. And then just just grab onto him so hard that other teams are like, all right, fine. Jesus, you want him that bad? Fine, take him. We'll, we'll, we don't want to spend $15 million for three years on that. Whatever, we'll go find someone else. Good Lord. And the Royals really did like Seth Lugo. He was reportedly... Uh, it was. It, I think the Royals wanted to sign him last year or something. They they've been talking about him for a while. I think it was um, Andy Rogers who kind of. Oh, it was some. Uh, maybe I'll, I'm gonna look this up. Hang on. Okay, jump cut. J- uh, Jalen Thompson, Casey Star reported. Uh, he had a story about Seth Lugo talking with JJ Piccolo and stuff like that. And yeah, JJ actually did say that he was that that they were interested in signing him for 2023, but they weren't entirely sure about how it would he would go as a starter. And then they so essentially someone else did it for them, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we were actually right about this guy. This guy is a starter." So Royals really like this guy. They were the ones who were willing to spend just a little bit more on other teams. Go an extra year compared to other teams. Spend maybe a little bit more per year than other teams who are who might have more money overall, but are going to be a little bit more cautious about how they're actually spending that money because they're in an active competitive window while the Royals are just kind of a blank state. They can just say, all right, we'll just overspend on this guy because it's not going to be as much of a consequence to us. And I really do hope that the Royals are just thinking that 
if something doesn't go right with a contract, it's not going to be like a huge issue for him, for for them rather. Kind of like how this season in 2024, they're already going into the season thinking, man, we're paying Jordan Lyles and Hunter Dozier like $20 million. This sucks. So hopefully the worst case scenario is that let's say Seth Lugo just isn't good, maybe not even pitching at all in 2026, and the Royals are now on the hook for $15 million because he accepted the player option. Maybe hopefully then they'll be like, Whatever. We don't we, we don't care. We're going to keep spending. That's what that's what I hope it means. They're going to keep spending in future seasons. So I like the signing. I mean, it's not necessarily maybe a slam dunk, amazing signing, but it is a, a good one for the Royals. But they do need to do more and they did need more. So just minutes, I believe, after they uh, announced the Seth Lugo signing after that, rather after it was reported, the Royals signed Chris Stratton to a one-year $3.5 million contract with a $4.5 million player option in 2025. So another player option right there. But in total, we're just going to say two years, $8 million, which is, all right, fine. Who's this guy? He's a 33-year-old right-handed pitcher who pitched for uh, the Cardinals in Texas last year. He was on the Texas World Series roster right there. He had a four-point, he has a, oh, Hang on, sorry. Looking at the wrong thing. Okay, so uh, Chris Stratton is, is a relief pitcher who has thrown the second most innings in baseball as a reliever since 2019, since he moved to the bullpen in 2019. So I'm not going to list his career numbers because he was a really, really bad starter before moving to the bullpen. But since then, he's been good 4.9 or sorry, 4.09 ERA in 306 innings pitched since 2019. By the way, the guy who has pitched the most innings in relief since 2019 is Scott Barlow, interestingly enough. And this is what I really like about Stratton. Last year, for the Cardinals and the Rangers combined, he threw 82.2 innings in the regular season. I think he had four in the postseason as well. He posted a 3.66 expected ERA, but a 4.36 expected FIP. So the expected numbers are kind of going in different directions here. 8.8. 8.82 strikeouts per nine, 2.72 walks per nine. So that's fine. Uh, less than one home run per nine. His home runs run went up a lot after he left the Cardinals, but maybe it's just small sample sizes talking. He is a reliever after all, so maybe I shouldn't read too much into it. Uh, he throws a four-seamer slider, curveball, changeup. The curveball gets hit a lot, but I think it still grades out well Like as a pitch just in general. like The stuff is good, uh, but the fastball is also very, very good for him. I personally like this signing a lot. In fact, I'm going to make a bold statement and say that Chris Stratton might be the best signing of this whole bunch, at least in terms of like the the dollars to player value, whatever you want to call it. This is a three point. This is a three point. We gave this guy as much money as we gave a Roldis Chapman, maybe even less than that. I think a Roldis was like, I think it was 3.75. Yeah, we're giving this guy 3.5. He threw 82 innings last season like this wasn't just a reliever this is a reliever who threw who actually I, I believe most of his outings were more than three outs now this guy you know he's not a like a high leverage reliever his postseason era was actually pretty terrible for as few innings as he pitched um 
but I still really like this guy in the middle of the bullpen as like the as like the maybe maybe the sixth or seventh inning guy or the sixth and seventh inning guy. You know, for someone who pitched who after a starter who only goes five innings or so, he's that going to be not necessarily a bulk reliever necessarily, but definitely still a high volume reliever because you only expect sixty to seventy innings for a reliever. This guy clocked in more than eighty last year, and you know even if the like. Even if the even if he takes the player option for 2025, I don't even see that being a, too big of a deal. 4.5 million, that's still super cheap. I feel like the Royals got a really really good deal on this. I said this on Twitter, but um originally I was skeptical of them like going after relief pitching, so when they signed Will Smith, I'm like, eh, "Okay, you know, sure, good good pitcher right here." I, I did like the signing overall, but I had always been saying, you know, of all of the three major components of a team, bullpen is the least important one so don't worry too much about relief pitching but I think the Royals actually did uh take an aggressive approach to the relief market and it's paid off for them because I think everybody in baseball is looking at the starting pitchers and that that market's not really moving nothing's really like everybody's everybody was waiting for Shohei Otani who's getting paid like three million dollars for the next century or something so that's cool that that that's really fair and then there's Yamamoto, the Japanese guy who's apparently also going to get signed for like six trillion or, or, or something or whatever. Blake Snell is still on the board. You know, the, the, the big pitchers haven't really gone anywhere. The only one was Aaron Nola, and that was very, very quick. That lasted like I think his free agency lasted like three days or something. So didn't work. Nobody was there wasn't a market for him. He just wanted to go to Philly anyway. um, Yeah, so the, so. There aren't a lot of starting pitchers getting signed in general. So the Royals, you know, they were talking to a lot of guys in the winter meetings, and it was reported a lot that the Royals were very active in uh, in signing guys or what wanting to sign guys. But it wasn't really happening. So the Royals were just, they just threw up their hands and were like, "Fine, we'll just look for we'll just look at something else." And so they just went and got these relievers who aren't getting signed either. Like I don't even know if there is another reliever that has been signed in general. Aside from Craig Kimbrell, like the relief market has gone absolutely nowhere. And once again, people are looking at the big guys. Josh Hader is still on the board. So, you know, it's like once the big guys go, then the, you know, the smaller guys will start getting signed. But nothing's happening at all. So the Royals are just like, all right, we're just going to go get a guy right now before anything else happens. And so I think that has led them led to them getting pretty good deals on these relievers. I um I think Will Smith was only five million, Chris Stratton three point five million. Yeah, this is really good. I think that this really cements the bullpen a whole lot better. At least it adds two guys, two veteran guys, to a very very young and inexperienced bullpen that was projected to have a negative WAR <laughs> over the full season. So th- immediately I'm a lot more confident in this. It's like all right, at least we have two guys. We got Chris Stratton, who can be kind of all-purpose, or maybe not really high-leverage, but still can be used a lot. And then Will Smith, who can be a back-end guy. And then now you got three guys in Carlos Hernandez and the Mickey boys, uh, MacArthur and McMillan. So, yeah, I like this signing a lot for the Royals, and I think it was a very smart signing for them, a very uh, efficient signing for them. And they weren't done. Oh, boy. I, so, like I said, uh, I thought about doing an episode on Friday because I thought that they were done for the week. I'm like, I'll talk about Lugo and Stratton on Monday. They're not going to do anything else. And then on Friday, the Royals signed – the Royals, or rather, it was, a, it, was, it was reported that the Royals had signed Hunter Renfro to a one-year $5.5 million contract with a $7.5 million player option 
for 2025. So there's the player option once again. So we're going to say two years, 13 million is the contract overall. He is a 32 year old right handed right fielder who hit 233 with a 297 on base and 416 slugging percentage last year. That's only a weighted runs created plus of 92. So that's pretty well below average. Yeah, but in five years from 2018 to 2022, he slashed 240, 302, 390 with a 110 weighted runs created plus. And the big thing, the very, very noticeable thing that happened to Hunter Renfro in 2023 is that his barrel rate plummeted. When he In those five years when he was good, he had a barrel rate of around 11% or more. And then in 2023, it was 6.1%. Now, I think it might be worth noting that he played for the Angels last year. And if you know anything about how the Angels are run, you'll know that it is not run very well. And I think it shows that a lot of guys go into that side of Los Angeles and don't really come out as particularly great players. I shouldn't say it's Los Angeles. It's actually Anaheim. They just like pretending it's Los Angeles. Anyway... Yeah, so who who really knows? I do think that this is going to be a bit of a project for our coaches, for Zumwalt and for Dylan. But I think that the, I think the problem is laid out for them. It's like, all right, this guy just didn't barrel the ball anymore last year. Let's get let's make that adjustment so that he can barrel the baseball again. And if he and if the Royals can do that, I feel like that's literally the only thing they need to do. That's like the only thing they need to, to work on. Just have him barrel the ball again, and then he's a one ten weighted runs created plus. Hitter. I still like saying work plus. Work plus, work plus. Wade once created plus is work plus. Um, so, yeah, they do that. Then they have a well above average corner outfield bat. Um, his fielding is not, it does leave something to be desired, but he does have a strong arm. So he's kind of like, he's kind of like a prototypical uh, right fielder. Not a good fielder, good bat, very strong arm. So, yeah. Um, so on, on the basis of all that, I think it's an, uh, I want to. I want to. I don't want to say it's a good signing. It might not even be an okay signing. I. I. It is a questionable signing. I'm going to say this. It is a questionable signing. I'm still. I. I really wanted Adam Duvall. I'm still wondering. Like, I, we're just going to have to see what the contract is for that guy because if it's something similar to Hunter Renfro, then I am going to be looking at the Royals like, why didn't you get him? He was the guy I really wanted. Uh, in terms of outfield, um you know, veteran position players and all that. So, but who knows? I, the Royals must think that they can they can fix Renfro, and if so, more power to them. Um, but if not, then, yeah, it is going to be a bit of a tough pill to swallow, that $7.5 million player option. Again, I'm hoping that the Royals just don't think that's going to be much of an issue. They're just going to be like, all right, whatever. We're not going to, you know, cry poor over this. We'll just keep going. Um, so I am optimistic that that won't happen or that will happen that, that that the Royals won't be deterred by seven and a half million dollars of dead money next season if that's what it comes to but it's it's you still want to be efficient with your payroll and all you know so I guess this is the signing with the most variables you know if it works out the Royals way then this can be a really really great signing then the then the Royals got a very good player for very cheap so actually this could be the best uh contract signing in terms of you know dollar to player value or whatever but it also seems like it's the most likely to not be a very good move in the long run. So we'll see. And minutes after that, the Royals made a fourth major league free agent signing. And this is it, folks. 
This was the one. This th- this was the biggest splash so far. The Royals signed Michael Waka to a one-year, sixteen million dollar contract. But you might be saying, uh, "Is the what? What about how how does this correlate to the other guys?" Oh, yep, he's got one too. He's got a player option for 2025, 16 million dollars as well. So so once again, we'll just assume this is a two-year, thirty-two million dollar contract. He's also got 500k in incentives each year. What are the incentives? I have no idea. I just saw that they're that that they that they exist apparently. So Michael Waka is a 32-year-old right-handed pitcher with a 3.96 career ERA in 1,288 innings pitched. Last year, he pitched 3.22. He pitched a sorry. He pitched 134.1 innings to a 3.22 ERA. Now, kind of like Seth Lugo, not a perfect guy. Does come with the, some risk. The risk was. He battled some shoulder fatigue last year and also the year before, so that's a bit scary. Um, last year, he's, he's another Padres guy, by the way, and before that, he went with the Red Sox. But anyway, um, big issue I that can be taken with him is that he hasn't pitched more than 140 innings since 2017. And also, his expected numbers aren't all that great. 4.3 expected ERA, 4.47 expected FIP. But maybe one reason for the the FIP being, I, I guess not, rather the real his actual FIP being better than what it should be, is that maybe he's it's maybe because he's a big fly ball pitcher and pit and played for the Padres. So big park over there. He's going to Kauffman Stadium, which is even bigger. He's got a four seamer, cutter, slider, curveball, and the best changeup in baseball, according to Pitching Bot, which does seem to be some kind of theme. With the Royals and this new pitching staff that they have, if you listen to other creators, you've probably heard them talk about this, and they're definitely going to talk about it a lot smarter than I will. But yeah, the Royals do like to target guys with great breaking stuff. Seth Lugo is another guy who's got a great curveball. Uh, Chris Stratton, also great curveball, even though he throws his fastball a lot, and the fastball grades out really, really well. But yeah, Royals really like guys with good breaking stuff. The Royals like pitchers who break stuff. The Royals like pitchers who got a chainsaw and will skin your ass raw. That's what Michael Waka is going to do, hopefully. And with all of this, uh, Annie Rogers and Jalen Thompson have both reported from J.J. Piccolo that it seems like the Royals are done. This seems to be it. This, the, the, At the very least, these are all the big free agent signings. J.J. did report, so he said, exactly, we've hit our goals, but Manager Q has always said you can never have enough good players. So there is a plan to continue looking at the roster and seeing if they're if they can continue improving depth in any sort of way. But it does seem like they're done overall with the six free agent signings that they have made, which is the most in baseball, by the way. The the Royals have signed the most guys in all of baseball. They have signed six players. Nobody else has signed even five. In fact, nobody has signed even four. A Cespedes family barbecue on uh, December 15th. So maybe this is a couple days old. But yeah, they posted the the list of all teams and how many free agents they've signed. Royals are at six. And a few teams are at three. A couple teams are at two. A bunch of teams are at one or even zero. Like half the league hasn't done anything. And the Royals have already gotten six guys. And those six guys, they got two outfielders. 
Although I guess Garrett Hampson's also kind of an infielder, and I'm de- I'm looking at that signing even more and going, what was the point of that? I really don't know what Garrett Hampson is going to do on this roster. I'm already looking at the roster like, where does he play? <laughs> I don't really want him taking spots away from anybody, and I guess I felt that already, but then they added Hunter Renfro to the picture, and it's like, okay. Um, but more importantly, they signed two relievers and two starting pitchers, and all of this put put together... I think really raises the floor for the Royals. And this is something else that I'm sure you hear a lot about. But now just having four new pitchers on this roster just immediately does so much for this team. I had some I had I had this post on on Twixer and I I don't know if this is gonna be I don't know if this is like actually correct, but I kind of had like an experiment that I wanted to see. I wanted to see what would happen if you took the four pitchers that the Royals signed. Waka, Lugo, Stratton, and Smith. And what if they what if they played for the Royals in 2023? That's what I wanted to kind of experiment with. Like, what if these four guys were on the 2023 Royals and it kicked off, you know, just four random other players for the Royals? So put together these four pitchers through 420.2 innings last year, and they gave up 170 runs. So altogether they had an ERA of 3.64. The Royals pitched 1,409 innings in total and gave up 809 runs. That's an ERA of 5.17. So what I tried to do, and I hope I did this right, is I essentially subtracted 421 innings from the actual Royals and then subtracted... uh, So it was like 29% of their total innings pitched. So then my logic is, okay, then subtract... 29% of their earned runs and then plug back in the the 421 innings that these new four pitchers threw along with their earned runs and their ERA and in total the Royals ERA which was 5.17 in actuality goes down to 4.7 a flat 4.70 assuming all four of these pitchers were on the Royals in 2023, as opposed to whoever else threw those 421 innings. Maybe this, maybe this is really flawed logic. Maybe my, you know, maths w- was wrong. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm just a freaking idiot. So that's, <laughs> that's why I'm just sitting on the internet talking about the Royals instead of doing actually anything productive with my life. But that's what I came to. And I feel like that's a reasonable expectation. I feel like that's a reasonable result. And for what it's worth, a team ERA of 4.7 isn't good at all. Um, but it is better than seven teams in baseball last year, one of them being the Royals, but also of course obviously the Rockies and the Athletics, but also the Nationals, the White Sox, the Reds, and the White Sox, uh, and the White Sox, yeah, and the Cardinals. They all had an ERA worse than 4.7. So the Royals go from, you know, like basically worst to, okay, uh, slightly less terrible. I feel like this is an example of how the Royals have already raised their floor. And I think maybe in like a worst case scenario, they lose 90 games. In fact, maybe that's an outright realistic scenario that the Royals still lose 90 games next season. And I and I see and I hear I see people complaining about that still like, oh, the Royals are assigning all these guys just to lose 90 games again. Big whoop. Like what do you want them to do, bro? Like I, I'm sorry. Yeah, maybe that's what they are doing. 
what else are they supposed to do? Not sign anybody and then lose 100 again? You're just going to be mad about that, too. Like it's, like, it's like the Royals can't win. It's like if they sign all these guys and then still lose, it's like, well, they shouldn't have signed all these guys. But then, I mean, this year in 2023, we were already complaining that they lost so many games. It's like, well, they're not spending any money on this team. Duh, that's why they're losing so much. So which is it? And better yet, the draft was just taken away from us, essentially. We lost four spots on the draft and can't pick in 2026 if we get another top six pick next year. So that's taken. So we can't even just say, well, just keep losing and accumulate draft picks. That doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so this really is the only option the Royals have. Just, can, just I don't know, try throwing money at your various problems and hopefully they'll work out. But I feel like this this will work out. I, I really do believe in at least most of these guys, even Hunter Renfro, who I'm not like a big fan of. I at least see the logic. I can see like, OK, if the Royals can just do one thing, essentially, that, which which I feel like is something very reasonable. It's a very reasonable. It's a very reasonable expectation for our hitting coaches to get a guy to barrel the baseball a whole lot more. I mean, I don't know. Look what Bob Witt Jr. has done throughout his entire career. His, bar- his barrel rate just continues going up. Look what Nelson Velasquez did when he showed up to the Royals. I mean, hey, if the Royals lose 90 games next season, that's an improvement of 16 games right there. Like, I, kn- I know people say, well, it's not moving the needle. Actually, it does move the needle. It's just that the needle was on empty. It was so far in the negative that, yeah, a significant improvement still means that the team is not in a very good spot. That's just how things are. I'm sorry, that's the way, that's the way, that's the hole that has been dug by the past regime for seven years or so, maybe even longer than that. So something has to be done, and I think that this was the right solution. I think the Royals got four guys that can really do something for this team. And the other thing that I like about all of these, all these guys, particularly these pitchers, that is that I think it really will trickle down to the rest of the staff and kind of prioritize these guys in different and much better ways. Like now you've got two legit pitchers in your rotation that you didn't have before. So now Cole Reagans, who I think we can still agree is the best pitcher on this staff, isn't so pressured to take the entire burden himself. Like, oh, now I have to pitch amazingly because if we don't, we're probably not winning a single game this week because I'm the only good pitcher in this rotation. Now in the bullpen, you've got Will Smith and Chris Stratton, who are going to be the guys that take a lot of the the bigger innings off of guys. Will Smith is going to be a back-end guy, and Chris Stratton is going to be someone who at least will just be plugged in the, into the bullpen a lot. Now... Carlos Hernandez, who we knew, who we who we just saw throughout the second half of last season, is definitely not a guy who can pitch a whole lot. Definitely not in high leverage situations. Now that's pressure taken off of him. It's pressure taken off of MacArthur and McMillan, who I think can be great back end guys, but they haven't had experience yet. Sure, I really like that time when James MacArthur, I think, got uh, I think he got Jordan Alvarez to strike out or fly out or whatever he did in a very close game with runners on base. Like, he did that once to end a game. That was pretty cool, but I'm not really... It's a lot to ask for a guy to do that every game moving forward, you know? So, I think four new pitchers on this staff takes a lot off of the younger guys, the less experienced guys, or frankly, guys that just shouldn't be there at all. So, a big question for the Royals pitching staff moving forward is, what happens to Jordan Lyles? And frankly, the answer is, who the hell cares? That's what the answer moves to. Last year in 2023, the Royals signed Jordan Lyles, who was basically the only, I guess, notable free agent signing. They also signed Zach Greinke. 
um, who, by the way, wants to come back to pitch in 2024. And maybe I should comment on that in a minute. Hopefully I don't forget because I always forget this. But the Royals signed Jordan Lyles last year, and he was ex- he was expected to be their number two starter. Maybe not necessarily in quality, but he pitched the second game of the season. So for all intents and purposes, the Jordan Lyles was the Royals' number two starter. Now, I'm not even sure if the Royals see him as a starter at all moving forward. I think the rotation is the rotation will definitely be four of uh, the, the 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 first four will be Cole Reagans. And then in any combination, in any order, Seth Lugo, Brady Singer, Michael Waka. I think they're still going to use Singer as a starter. I think that, you know, they're just going to hope that this offseason is a reset for him and work with him a little bit differently. But I, th- I think that Singer is still a, still a guy in the rotation. Then your fifth guy, I mean, you could say it's Jordan Lyles, and maybe Lyles is a lot better as, in the, as a fifth starter, which I do believe. I'm not even that much of a Jordan Lyles hater myself. But then you've also got to consider... What about Daniel Lynch? What about Alec Marsh? What about Anthony Viniziano? What about uh, Matt Sauer, the Rule 5 guy that they picked up? You know, there are there are quite a few options for just one spot in the rotation. And then Chris Bubich is going to come back in, I, I'm going to say August, frankly, but maybe it'll be July, probably not June. He'll probably still be rehabbing in uh, like AAA or so uh, in that time. But still, like, you're you're talking about several options for one spot, as opposed to last year when I think we went into the last season thinking Brady Singer is the number one, and then I guess we signed Zach Ranky, and then we also had uh, Jordan Lyle. So okay, three guys, but then we had like Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich, and who even who else? Brad Keller, I guess, competing for two spots. It's like, I don't know, we might have had three to five guys competing for those last two spots, and obviously they didn't last very long because Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich got injured basically immediately. I mean, we spent most of the season without five pitchers in the rotation. We like How many times did we have to use an opener? How many times did we have to, I don't know, just call up whoever? We had Michael Myers pitching for this team last season. So immediately just bringing in two Guys who, I, who at the very least, I think you can say together, these two pitchers, Seth Lugo and Michael Waka, will pitch 275 innings or so. I, I think that's a that's a very reasonable expectation. I'm sure, I know the Royals are, are going to be looking at these guys and like, all right, we can't, you know, they're not 200 inning pitchers or anything. If that happens, that'll be cool. But yeah, we're going to expect some time lost with these guys. But in that case, then... Okay, then it's nice that you have Jordan Lyles, I guess. Like, Jordan Lyles is now the last resort for this team, as opposed to the guy that was expected to carry the rotation in innings, essentially, and did carry the rotation in innings. He pitched the most innings in all in, in the Royals on the Royals last year, and that's not good. So, signing these other guys, the Royals have taken essentially what the what they saw what what they wanted to be their solution last year and they've relegated that guy to just simply depth that's it jordan lyles is depth so don't worry about him too much don't think about him too much he can't hurt you anymore i think all four of these new pitchers will provide a really big boost to the pitching staff that definitely needed one and sure you know like i said a 4.7 era a team ERA isn't good, but it's still a half run better than it was. So this does move the needle, 
even if it's only 90 losses, <laughs> that's still our best season since 2017. So, <laughs> congrats. Mission accomplished by the Royals right there. And I don't think it's too reasonable. It, 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 it's very reasonable to say that 90 losses is, is, I think, the floor now. I mean, obviously, we just saw that the floor is lava. It's non-existent. But by Pythagorean record, a.k.a. The, our record in terms of how many or our expected record based on the runs scored and runs allowed, it was 64 and 98. So you can actually make a case, or this is the case rather, that the Royals underperformed by eight games last year. Okay, I think adding two legit starters and then two legit bullpen guys brings you eight more wins. I I I. I don't even think that's, like, up for debate. Like, I think all four of these guys would have to be, like, catastrophic for them to not bring in eight wins for this team. Like, I think if the Royals lose more than 90 games, something absolutely horrible has happened. Just like how I was thinking last year, if the Royals lose more than 90 games, something terrible has happened. And it turns out, oh boy, did some terrible things happen in 2023. But I think I'm willing to put my faith in two guys, or ra- rather four pitchers, who were all on very good teams last year. I guess the Padres very good. That's subjective, but they were better than the, they were better than the Royals. So <laughs> good teams that had playoff expectations at the least. I think, um, and, and then the other team went to the won the World Series. So there's that. Um, I'm willing to bet on those four guys then. Jordan Lyles and 52-year-old Zach Greinke. I think that this is a lot, a much better outlook for the team. I think it, I think it allows for us to have much higher and more reasonable expectations. Where last year we were thinking, well, if everything goes right, we might win 76 games. Yay! Now I'm thinking, okay, if everything goes right, we might be a lot better <laughs> than that. And I don't want to make any bold statements as to how good this team can be, but that definitely I don't think we're going to be a 100-loss team once again next season. I don't even know if we're going to be a 90-loss team. And once again, I think that's the floor. That's the bottom of how this team should perform. I actually will say a little bit more about that in a bit, as well as some other transactions that the Royals have made, as and some and one that they almost made, one that, one that they talked about making but didn't. But first, there's something that I've got to add to the show. And we're back. Thank you very much for your patience. I was talking about expectations moving forward for the Royals. I was talking about 90 losses being their floor. And I and I think that this is a much more well-defined floor than last year, where I only really think the Royals had a defined floor, and we 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 learned the hard way what happens when uh we when you go into the season without without a whole lot of true like guarantees with a lot of what ifs, too many what ifs. Frankly, this season we're going in thinking, okay, we've got at least like four pitchers who we can expect to be good, and I'm only saying four because I'm I'm still going to say Cole Reagans is questionable, but we at least know the upside. With Cole Reagan. So that's still better than, you know, thinking about what happens with Daniel Lynch and other guys with just new coaches and stuff like that. We know Bobby Wood Jr. is an absolute stud. We know Michael Garcia is pretty reliable. We got Vinny Pasquantino coming back. So I think so I think that next season, being in a situation similar to the 2023 Royals, 
would require nothing short of a mass casualty event. So I think that this is going to be a much better team next season. And in ways that can be a lot more meaningful to the team. Like even if, I don't know, worst case scenario, the Royals like lose 90 games. I still think that they can be a team that does that. that is a lot more interesting and a lot more fun for a much longer period of time throughout the season. As in, we can go, maybe hopefully go into August or September thinking, hey, Royals aren't too bad this season. Pretty interesting. Now, I do want to say, I want to reel this back by saying that I'm not making any expectations that the Royals are going to the postseason next year. Like, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I'm not expecting that to happen. I'm not even really saying the Royals are going to have a winning season. I think that's still in the very, very small percentage of, like, you, you know, good out. That, that would be, like, best possible outcome, you know? It would be the exact opposite of 2023, which was the worst possible outcome, essentially. So let's rule that out. But I still think they can play some meaningful and fun baseball late into the season. Kind of like the Guardians and the Tigers last year. Like, that's what I think the Royals can be in 2024. They can be the Guardians and the Tigers last year. Tigers won 78 games. Guardians won 76. And they were, for all intents and purposes, still relatively within striking distance of the division. Because this division sucks. Okay? It sucks. Here's the full division. Here's a picture of what the division looks like. The Twins won the division last year with 87 games. They won 87 games, won the division, and this winter, they have done nothing. They have signed zero players. They have made zero trades. They have done nothing. And also, they lost their best pitcher. Sonny Gray was their best pitcher last year. They lost him in free agency. Now, I think that Pablo Lopez will be better next season. And Pablo, I think he's an excellent pitcher right there. I think the rest of their rotation might be okay. I don't know who they're replacing Sonny Gray with. Again, they haven't done anything. And I don't know if the Twins are going to do anything because they already spent a lot of money on Byron Buxton and Carlos Correa and I think a bunch of other guys on their roster. <clears throat> Sorry. And they have a very tricky situation with their TV deal cuz I think they were one of the bi- one of the teams hit the most by the Bally bankruptcy so they're not getting as much money as they wanted or expected to get next th- th- this season or next season so they might not do anything this winter like it really does not look like the twins are doing anything this winter so you're talking an 87 win team that still has so many question marks like Buxton and 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 Correa had like career worst years essentially like what are they going to do about that nothing they can't do anything about it it seems they're just going to run it back with whatever they have and I feel like that's what they've just kind of been doing in general like the twins year after year just continuously run back the same roster thinking oh we got unlucky we got unfortunately you know 2021 2022 they were below 500 but they were like well we've got injured we had underperformances and stuff like that it's like okay but this is as good as it gets 87 wins I don't know. I don't really believe in the Twins moving forward very much. They might still be good, but how good? <laughs> I, I doesn't seem like that good. The Tigers won 78 games, and I'm going to give some respect to the Tigers. I don't think that national media is giving as much respect to the Tigers as I think they deserve. 
Not that they've, you know, done a whole lot this offseason. They lost their best pitcher, Eduardo Rod- Rodriguez. They replaced him with Kenta Maeda, who's, okay, another guy on the Twins, actually. So that's funny. Um, and they also signed Jack Flaherty. So one guy that the Royals were linked to, it was one year, $14 million. I don't want that. No thanks. Uh, he probably just wanted a one-year prove a deal. Royals didn't want to do that. Fine. I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, but beyond that, the Tigers have a very good, or at the very least, very interesting young rotation. Tarek Skubal, for as much as uh, we talk about Cole Reagans, he, you know, he basically pitched for the same amount of time, basically just the second half of the season, and was arguably even better. <laughs> he had a higher, he had a lower FIP. He struck out about 12 batters per nine and then walked less than two. So he's kind of insane. Matt Manning, he's over there. Pretty good pitcher. Casey Mize, first overall pick a few years ago. He's coming back from Tommy John. Like, the Tigers have been very snake-bitten by injuries with their pitchers that they've been developing. But it looks like it's coming. It, 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 it's starting to come together again. They had a very good second half last season. So that's interesting. And they've got some young bats who are interesting. Torkelson, Riley Green. I think if they sign just one or two bats, then they might be like the legit division winner next season. Probably like the actual 90-win team of this division. Who knows, though? But I'm going to give credit to the Tigers. I think the Tigers are formidable. But then there's the Guardians, who won 76 games last year, which I think is fair because la- the, the year before, they won 92, but they had massive overperformances from guys like Stephen Kwan and Andres Jimenez. All right. So 2023... Those guys regressed, and then the team kind of fell apart. And even their pitching, which has been known to be, like, amazing, like, it was still good, but they still had, like, so many injuries that they couldn't really keep up with, like, like, like they didn't have enough depth for, for everything. And they've already announced that they're not increasing payroll, and they actually want to trade Shane Bieber and um, Emmanuel Class A. So they already want to get rid of two pitchers and not really do anything about it. So that's the Guardians right there. 76-win team that probably isn't going anywhere in general. And then there's the White Sox. (laughs) So that's the American League Central right there. Then there's the Royals who, yes, went 56-106 and last year. Awful. But they just did a whole lot to raise their floor. They are definitely the most improved team in this division. It's just going to be a matter of who improves. I don't know. But I do think that no one else in this division is really improving. It's just us and the Tigers, who I think are only the only two teams that I think are realistically expected to be better next season. So all things considered, the Royals could be in a in a situation where, you know, they might not be legit contenders, but at least you can go into August and say, hey, we're like five games under 500. And the division winner, the, guy, the the first place team is two games above 500. You know, it's like you kind of think, huh, you know, if the wind blows a little bit better for us, who knows? Maybe. It's fun to dream, right? And yeah, sure, they'll probably still finish like 75 and 87. Once again, that's the best season that the Royals have had since 2017. So I, I will take that. But also consider that something I've been talking about, something I talked about, I think last time or the, I don't know, some, some past episode that the Royals aren't necessarily looking at 2024 to be the year where they, you know, make a legit playoff run. If that happens, that would be cool, but I think it's going to be 2025. And a lot of these moves still set up the Royals for 2025. Seth Lugo is here for 2025. They gave Michael Walker a fairly lucrative deal that I think he might I I think he might take that player option 
if he just if he has another season like 2023 where he you know pitches very well but only for you know 130 innings or so i think he'll take that option and even if the other guys opt out if if stratton and renfro opt out then fine we can replace those guys we can we we can sign a reliever any other year will smith doesn't have an option so he's gone after 2024 uh but that's fine Again, you can just you can sign relievers at any point. At any there there's always a ton of them to go around. There's always going to be some corner outfielder that the Royals can get. So, I'm fine with those guys opting out. At, at, at the, in general, the big signings, the most important signings, those starting pitchers, I think that they're going to be here for 2025. I think that's a real reasonable expectation. So, I think 2024 is the year they bring in all these new guys and then it just overall encourages and and helps a team-wide improvement, you know, once again, giving the young guys less pressure, you know, now hopefully Hunter Renfro, assuming he's good, will be a guy that protects the young guys in the lineup. Now, Michael Massey batting third doesn't feel like he has to do it all. MJ Melendez batting fourth doesn't feel like he has to do it all. It's like, okay, if I strike out, there's another guy behind me who can hit really well, As a, and also Vinny's coming back. So it's not like, you know, 2023 where everybody's pressing so much because it's like, well, I have to do it because nobody else is. Nobody else is doing anything, so I have to be the guy. And then the and then this and then the pitchers, all these guys who who feel like they they have to do too much because the team is in such a poor situation. I think that all of this is going to alleviate that and then it's going to carry over into 2025 and we're going to have even more improvements that year, which will hopefully be a whole lot more meaningful. That's what I think that's my expectation. So I, uh, yeah, I just hope that's what I, I think that at the very least, that's what the Royals are expecting. It's what the Royals are thinking. And I'm, uh, I, I'm in agreement. I see what they're seeing and I'm just, you know, crossing my fingers, hoping it works out. But I think that this was, these were all good moves. These were all steps in the right direction. I think if the off, if the off season ended right now, kind of like JJ was talking about, like if, if we go into spring training tomorrow, then I think this offseason is about a B plus. I would give it that. With all this all these signings, I don't love all these signings and sure they all come with a lot of risk. But at this point I think the only thing the but the, the, they at the very least understood the assignment and did what they, you know, needed to do at the very least. They signed two legit starting pitchers and then they got two relievers at a pretty good price. And then a corner outfield bat who was very questionable, but it is what it is. And then also Garrett Hampson. I don't know why they did that, but whatever. The only thing I think the Royals need to do for the rest of the offseason is extend Bobby Wood Jr. That's what they need to do. That's the very last thing they need to do. And, and if they do that, then I'm going to say A- minus probably. So the last thing to talk about are the transactions that were made um, at the consequence of signing these guys. Because, you know, Royals adding players to the roster means that they have too many players on the roster. You can only have 40 at any given time. So evidently, they had to get rid of some guys. And... um note that there were only three moves so far despite these four signings so there's going to be another one this week I don't know what it is we'll talk about it later but for now we've got three one of them is that they traded Taylor Clark to the Milwaukee Brewers for right-handed pitcher Ryan Brady and shortstop Cam Devaney so Taylor Clark bad pitcher last year 5.95 ERA in in 59 innings but I think he's had some moments. I, I I really I've still been a believer in Taylor Clark. I still kind of you know think he's got something in him. He's he's 
he he had a really bad second half. I don't really know what the deal is with him. Just that I think he's okay. So he he's going to the Brewers, a pretty smart pitching organization. So I I feel a little little bit vindicated already. But the Royals made this trade and they needed to make it, and they got two players out of him. So that's fine. They got essentially a they they traded a useless reliever for two players. So a uh, good trade in my opinion. Uh, Ryan Brady is a 24 year old pitcher who has only had one season as a pro. Like, I don't know where this guy came from. He seems to be an undrafted free agent, pitched last year at the high A level through through 49 innings with a 2.57 ERA. He must have been an indie ball pitcher or something. Because I don't think you just, you just, you don't just find some guy who can do that. Um, and then he moved up to the AA level, pitched 28 innings there. Oh, sorry, he had, he had a 2.57 ERA in 28 innings at the AA level, 49 innings at the high A level with a 2.76 ERA. He is a reliever, uh, but there is something there. So I'm liking the basic numbers. Might not mean much, but it, it's something. And then Cam Devaney is once again a shortstop, 26-year-old right-handed hitter who walked 11.8% of the time last season and only, and struck out 18% of the time. He played 103 games at the AAA level, posted a 107 work plus. He's posted above average work pluses every year except 2021. But he is a 26-year-old already, so he's an old prospect. I, I haven't even like seen him on prospect lists, but like I'm looking at the numbers and I'm like, what's not to like, I guess. I don't know. I guess maybe he's not hitting the ball hard enough supposedly but I still really like the walk rate if nothing else so I like that the Royals got that um you know it, it just is a little bit shaky that he's a 26 year old at AAA level how do you fit him onto the roster even if you know he does do something in AAA I don't know but that's probably not the what the Royals are caring about they're just like we just got a guy <laughs> we got a guy for Taylor Clark we got two guys for Taylor Clark so good trade in my opinion they also traded Edward Olivares it finally happened it finally happened. We can stop talking about this. Edward Olivares was finally traded. He's gone from the Royals. Bye, Ollie. Nice knowing you. He he was traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates for second baseman Delvis Nadal. Or is it? No, sorry, Davis Nadal. Uh, Nadal is a 21-year-old left-handed center fielder who throws right. Okay. And he struck out 33% of the time and doesn't hit the ball particularly hard but walked 15% of the time. So once again, high walk rate. I'll take that. And this guy's 21 years old, so I'm actually liking this move by the Royals. He's kind of a non-prospect, sure, but I still really, I think the walk rate is something. I will take a 21-year-old with a high walk rate over anything. A 26-year-old with a with a high but slightly, slightly lower walk rate. So... I'm kind of liking this return by the Royals. Could be nothing, but they had to get rid of Edward Olivares one way or another. So be it. That just shows what he was worth. You know, everybody's saying like, oh, trade Ollie, trade Ollie, trade Ollie. He's, he's going to be worth something. He's a good hitter. Trade Ollie. Like, okay, he got a 21-year-old non-prospect, basically. That's what Ollie was actually worth. <laughs> and also, the Royals have DFA'd Colin Snyder. So that's the end of that, I guess. Colin Snyder, not a pitcher I thought was ever particularly good. Um. He does. He did. He did at least have like one good pitch, but just did, never posted good results. Uh, he's doing some interesting stuff in the offseason, and I have heard some like pitching analysts say, like, I don't remember where it was. I just remember some kind of guy on Twitter being like, "Hey, 
hey, this Colin Snyder guy is really interesting for the Royals. They better keep him around. I'm like, well, sorry to that guy, whoever it was. And I think it was like a legit like pitching expert or whatever. But, oh, well, I think that this is a, a fair move by the Royals. Nobody has picked him up, so it's not so. Maybe he will be traded or something. Doesn't get for assignment. Doesn't necessarily. It actually doesn't really mean anything. It just means he's removed from the 40-man roster. He could be brought back on a minor league deal, if nothing else. So who knows? Maybe that'll happen. Uh, or maybe another team will be interested and be like, hey, can we have this guy? Or he'll just become a free agent in general. Maybe the Royals are like, no, get out of here. Whatever it is, that's what happened. And there was one move that almost happened, but didn't. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reported that the Royals talked to the Marlins about trading for Jesus Luzardo, who is a guy that I have been targeting myself for a while. That's when I did my trades article. When I did my article about trade ideas for the Royals, Jesus Lazardo was my guy that I circled as, this is the guy you want to get if you want a really, really good pitcher who's still controllable for a couple of years. It's going to be a big package that will, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be expensive in terms of trade value, but this is a really, really good pitcher right here. So seeing that the Royals actually talked about acquiring Jesus Luzardo, does make me happy. This was discussed in the winter meetings. What would it have taken to trade for Jesus Luzardo? Vinny Pasquantino. That's what was discussed. The Royals discussed trading Vinny for for Jesus Luzardo. And that does have to give me pause where I have to say, I don't know about that one. And it uh, turns out that JJ, you know, like it was discussed, and then JJ actually consulted ownership about it. He consulted John Sherman. He's like, hey, should we do this? Sherman said, go spend money in free agency. So they signed Michael Waka instead. That's how this happened. So, and that's, and that's fair because it was noted in the article that essentially trading Vinny for Luzardo was just filling one hole by opening up another one. It's like, then we go into 2024 thinking, okay, Nick Prado's the first baseman. <sighs> I really wanted Luzardo, but I don't know if I want to get rid of Vinny for him. That is a that is a that's a hard sell right there. But it was an option, and you know, you know, kudos to the Royals, credit to them for just discussing it. I think it's still good to discuss trades like this, discuss uncomfortable trades, because one of these days you're going to have to make one. You're going to have to make a trade that you really don't want to make, but you just look at the return and say, we need to do this. This is what this team needs right now. So I like that the Royals are open to trading other guys, but I I like that this trade was essentially shot down by ownership so they can just do something else instead. Like, okay, we don't need to trade Vinny. We can just spend more money. Wow, amazing. What a novel concept. In total, the Royals are committing $105 million between all of these guys that they signed in free agency. Michael Waka, funny enough, is the third largest signing and fourth largest signing in Royals history. <laughs> Three years, $45 million, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's behind Ian Kennedy, Alex Gordon, or Gordon had more, um, and then uh, Gilmesh. So the Royals are committing. They're doing something. It's not a not, not a crazy amount of money, but they definitely went above the thirty million that JJ Piccolo mentioned that the Royals were like planning on spending. Because it's fifteen, sixteen, and then uh nine, and then fourteen. Uh, no, just five. Sorry. 
I'm doing maths in my head. Ignore that. Anyway, the Royals are spending money. They did it. Their payroll is going to be like close to 120 million next year, which isn't even in the upper echelon, probably not even middle of the pack or anything, but it's still a lot better, still a whole lot more. And you know what? For for that, I'm at least appreciative. It's like, okay, thank you for finally listening to us. Thank you for finally doing the thing that we've been telling you to do. You tried all these different things. You tried working with what you had. You tried making these piecemeal solutions. None of them have been working. So do the one thing that you haven't done in, oh, really ever at all, which is go and spend money on some guys. That's what the Royals have done. So I want to end this podcast by saying this. I don't want to hear people complaining, frankly. I just I just kind of don't. I, I mean, you can disagree with some of the signings themselves, I suppose. But look, the Royals did it, okay? They they went out and signed money. They, they, they signed money. Yeah, they signed cash, cash considerations to the Major League team. They went out and signed players. They went out and got good players who played for good teams last year. They increased their payroll significantly. What else do you want them to do? Yeah, I get that the minor league system still sucks. There's nothing they can do about that right now. They already tried working on that. They brought in all, like I saw someone, just random, a random comment I got one time where someone was like, oh, why sign these major league players? Why not put that money into minor league personnel and stuff? They already did that. They did that last year. You can't rebuild a minor league system in one year just by personnel and, and, and coaches and stuff like that. They fired Matheny, they fired Moore, they fired Eldred, they fired all these guys that sucked and then brought in guys from organizations that don't suck. And yeah, the team lost 106 games. So they 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 can't just like, I don't know, shuffle in and out 26 different players in one season. It's a, it's a problem that's going to take time, but this is a solution. It's at least something. They're, they're, they are making an active attempt at, at, fixing, the solu- at, at fixing the problem. And let me remind you again that they have outbid other teams in for, for blah, 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 blah. they outbid other teams for some of these guys. They outbid the Red Sox and the the unlimited money Mets, the Padres. Okay, the other teams wanted any of these guys that the Royals assigned, but the Royals were the ones who were like, "We can do it. We can sign guys." Everybody who was saying, "Oh, nobody ever wants to play for the Royals. The Royals can't make the Royals can't, won't spend any money in free agency. They won't sign any guys. No player wants to come here. Eat it, okay? They, they proven wrong. Finally, you got you guys. Sorry, sorry. I shouldn't be aggressive or, or, or smug about this or anything. I just, you know, I have to moderate the Royals subreddit r slash Casey Royals. And man, I, I read a lot of stuff on there, okay? And let me just say that after all of these signings, everybody's in a much better mood now. You know, sure, you're going to still get some doubters. You're still going to get some complaints. Happens to every team every season, okay? But signing all of these guys has significantly raised the morale of this fan base. It's significantly raised the morale of this team. I mean, you've got guys on, you've got the players on Twix or posting Bricks? I don't know what that is. We probably will never know what that means. Vinny Pasquantino was having his wedding <laughs> this past week, and he was like just kind of like randomly showing up, like, "Oh wow, this is pretty cool." You got national media talking about the Royals, like, "Hey, look at the Royals this winter. Look what they're doing. This is pretty cool." You got some guys even saying that the Royals are going to win the division, which I don't know about that one, Chief. But hey, I appreciate the support. Thanks. 
I'll take that. I'll take, I accept the compliment. You know, it, it, it really helps a lot to at least make an effort to make an attempt at being better. And the Royals, if nothing else, have just made a very strong attempt to better themselves. So hopefully we're going to have a good year next year. Hopefully. Please, let's have a good year next year because, man, these past couple of years have sucked. It's been so fun doing this podcast, but man, the baseball part of it has really sucked, which is the most important thing. Anyway, thanks for uh, being on this journey with me. Hopefully we'll keep it going. Hopefully it will be stronger and better than ever next year. So see you next week, probably with whatever the Royals do next week. Probably nothing much to talk about, but yeah, um, you know, maybe it'd be nice to have it. Maybe now we'll actually go back to having sporadic uploads. Maybe we won't do one every week anymore until spring training, but what we'll talk about when we get there. Make sure you're subscribed to whatever platform you're listening to this on so that whenever I do make an episode, it gets delivered straight to your mailbox. Like that scene in uh, one of the Harry Potter movies where they get flooded with mail. That's me dropping podcast episodes uh, into your uh, MP3 feed or whatever it is. And that's going to do it. I'll see you all later. Uh, I've been Lux. This is the Royal Deluxe Podcast. Follow me on Twixer at Royal Deluxe Pod or the MF and Casey for less important stuff. Further inquiries can be sent to Royal Deluxe Podcast at gmail.com for whatever it is you got. Ask me questions. Give me feedback. Whatever it is. I'd love to hear from you. But if you don't do any of that, then you know what? No hard feelings. I love you all the same. I thank you very much for listening to the Royal Deluxe Podcast, making me a part of your day. I hope you have a good one. Hope you all have a good week. See you around. I've been Lux, and go Royals!